Who wouldn't want to experience a little more freedom in life? And what does that have to do with accountability? Well, over the years, I have found my willingness to be accountable as the most powerful way for me to increase my ability to create results as well as live life much more on my own terms. To me, accountability is the willingness to stop blaming others or outside events or my circumstances and to understand my role in creating any given situation. It's the commitment to take deeper personal responsibility for what's next, freely determining my response and taking action to create more positive change. Accountability is an ongoing practice that helps foster a proactive versus reactive state of mind. When I practice accountability, I make a commitment to create my experience rather than simply react to it. Primary outcomes of accountability are improved results and an increased sense of choice and interestingly enough, freedom. Try it yourself. Michael Mack, welcome back to Shape the Conversation. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. So normally it's a podcast where me and Nicole talk through building shape.io, but this week we're lucky enough to have Michael Mack coming back talking about a topic that is uh, near and dear to his heart, I know. And like anybody we've talked to on the podcast so far, they kind of have a standing offer if a topic strikes them or they're passionate about to pitch it to us as an episode and bring them on to talk about it. That reading was from a post of yours that I've seen on your blog and on LinkedIn. And I think the best place to start is give just a quick background of you and encourage people to to go back and listen to an earlier episode where we went into Michael's background and his incredible journey. So when, it, when somebody runs into you at a dinner party, Michael, and they ask, hey, give me your quick background, how do you answer that? CNN version is something like Harvard Business School, early hire at Bain & Company, frustrated at the lack of focus on company culture, started my own company to, to prove how powerful culture could be, and that, that really led me to to discover what I needed to do to be a better leader. Culture is driven by leaders, and to create the culture I wanted, I needed to be the leader capable of doing it. And that's that's kind of been a theme throughout my entire business career and and what I help people with now and, and what I keep working on for myself. Yeah, and I think that, that company you built was a restaurant group that grew at an incredible rate under your leadership and grew to hundreds of stores across the U.S. So a lot of these things you're about to talk about today, you, you've put in practice. Another that CNN version would be that restaurant group you started took public was asked by the board to step down as CEO for a stretch. The way you reacted to that situation, we kind of went in depth with previous conversation, but from my recollection and from us talking, that really led to a lot of these principles that you put back in play. During those two years, um, you dealt with the, the tough blow of being asked to step down by the board and you know remained active in the company and helpful and was eventually asked to come back as CEO of the company. And for me, I think that speaks to your personal accountability and 
for me, when I was thinking about this topic and reflecting on a blog post when you pitched it, this is like you talk so much about culture and a company culture. This is like your internal culture to me in a lot of ways and building building yourself and, and building habits for yourself that can deliver results. It's just not lovey-dovey. That's the other thing. When, when you talk about culture, you're like, this is a powerful business tool to grow whatever endeavor you're working on. So starting with you, why is accountability? Why was this the topic that jumped out to you first? Well, it's interesting you mentioned my being asked to step down. I mean, I was fired uh, by my <laughs> board of directors. And the kind of initial couple weeks around that, there was a lot of blaming. I, I really felt like I'd been unfairly treated. And just over a few weeks of processing that, I realized that as I looked at my actions, I had created the circumstance. I, I had actually caused myself to be fired. And what's interesting about that, you know, the word, the word accountability is, is Latin in derivation. It comes from the days of the Roman Senate. And so there was no electronic voting then. So you, you indicated your support of an issue by standing in a box that was yes in Latin or, or no. Hmm. And so to be accountable means to be accountable for your footsteps in life. And so what I was able to see is that I had walked myself right into being fired. And the powerful thing about that was that once I recognized that, I now had the opportunity to change the circumstance. As long as I blamed somebody else, there wasn't much I could do about it except wait to be rescued, which was not going to happen. So it was a profound experience for me. It was lifted a huge weight off of me. When you uh, talk about the experience, are you talking about a moment in time when you when you made that switch from a, you know a victim mentality to understanding your role in the situation? You know, uh, there wasn't there wasn't a moment of epiphany. Okay. It was it was uh, a week, two weeks, three weeks of epiphany. Yeah, uh, it just kind of unfolded. And I think it was really at the end of it as I was able to look back and say, wow, I did this. And so what's next is now much more in my control. And so I went about repairing the relationships that I damaged. And in, in doing so, allowed people to see me in just a clear light. And when the time came, they rehired me. Mm-hmm. You know, they brought me back in, which is which is only one other CEO that we know of has <laughs> has done that, and uh, he went on to great success, and uh, and I went on to great success, not 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 quite as the quite as extraordinary. Steve Jobs <laughs> yeah. is the other guy. Yeah, and during that time, and and a big focus of our first conversation was the power of vulnerability. And yeah. during that time, do you feel like? Talk to me about some of the, the things you did day to day beyond repairing relationships to start to cultivate this sense of accountability in your own life and how that led to you maybe being more truthful with others about your shortcomings and, and the power of vulnerability. Were there practical steps or actions you took? Was it as simple as a to-do list? I want to get these five things done today. Or is it more a mindset of how you're reacting to all the things that might be thrown your way throughout the day and the results of your decisions. 
in the end, it turns out to be a bit of a to-do list and, and in order to create a mindset. Hmm. So I think for any of us, if we have an aspect of ourselves that we want to develop, like I want to be more accountable, we're only going to shift that if we're willing to pay attention to it every day and literally create a little bit of a practice. So, for example, it might look like five minutes in the morning of quiet time, perhaps coupled with a little meditation, whatever people like, or walking or running. And what are the big circumstances I have coming up today? And where are the opportunities for me to step in, into each of those without blame and with, with a great sense of owning my own accountability in terms of what's led to that meeting and what I want to have happen in that circumstance? And so by having that to-do list of practice, we help enhance the mindset. And without that, something like, I want to be more accountable is a nice, touchy-feely idea, but people won't change. Mm -hmm. It's really, really difficult. Insights are relatively easy to come by in this arena. Change is challenging, and it comes through practice. Did you enlist other people outside of your own daily practice to help you be more accountable? I've been working with coaches, therapists, mentors, everybody in that, in that category probably since I was in my late 20s. And I haven't stopped. <laughs> and in fact, one of my coaches who I still talk with once or twice a month. I've been working with her for probably 20 plus years. Hmm. And there's still more to work on, which is to me good news. Okay. It's and it's 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 when it's when you know, it's when we think, okay, I've got this I got this accountability thing. I've arrived. Okay, I don't need any more help with accountability. That's when we well, let me personalize it. That's when I've made some of my biggest mistakes. When I said, okay, I got this figured out. Let's, we don't have to work on that anymore. It's solid. I just, I just get hit by a truck by, yeah. caused by my own actions. It's like um, you get away from your own personal fundamentals. That, I, I, that allows exactly. you to be creative. You're the, you know, the only guy I know that as part of his really focused and dedicated and routine mantra talks about spontaneity. Yeah. <laughs> And being intentional about spontaneity, but that's one of your fundamentals, your, your foundation. And I think everybody is free to have their own version of what of what that is, what that like personal operating system might be. Yeah. But I think a lot of times, and I know for myself, I look for reasons why maybe to shy away from account adding accountability to that system at times because yeah. it is hard. You know, it's times you feel like. You're doing the work when you when you already feel like you know the result or you don't need need it. You need to continue that practice. Well, let's yeah, let's because when the word accountability comes up, you know, most people shy away from it a little bit because it's it's like okay, I'm going to end up with some more responsibility here, mm -hmm. and 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 often accountability shows up in the form of a leader saying, "I need all of you to be more accountable." You know, I'm going to hold all of you more accountable, and I th I think that's an abuse. That's an yeah, abuse, I, abuse of the concept. For me, I'm 35, and in, in this like management phase or whatever whatever kind of era we're in of management, you want to look at 
I would say one of the mantras is that great leaders hold people accountable across the team. Like that's one of the things you'll read in like Jim Collins, good to great. That's kind of like one of those tactics is that good leaders held everybody in the company to the same standards accountable to the same way. But, but whose accountability is that really? Hmm. That's the leader being thoughtful about where do I need to be tough in this organization to get the results that I want. And I, I would argue that that is a very difficult thing to do, to really stay with. We've made an agreement, and I'm checking in to make sure, as I told you I would, that that agreement is being kept. And it's an easy place for, for leaders to say, well, wait a minute, you didn't keep your agreement with me, and, and so now I'm going to blame you for what happened. And that's, that's where it gets, I, to me, it gets really, really, really tricky. I think accountability is a tool that we use for ourselves, on ourselves, and not to go around measuring the rest of the world with. Hmm. Um, one, one of my coaches, see if I can, if I can say this right, or capture it as, as she did, others will blame. My response to that says more about my own accountability than, than mm-hmm. it's a commentary on their blame. Mm-hmm. You know, to walk around saying, you know, you're blaming, you're making excuses. I'm not sure that works very well in terms of developing leaders and helping people see what's going on. Yeah, and I think people that do work their way into a leadership position tend to have some maybe more innate accountability than others, or at least in your post you say like responsibility for what's next. People that yeah. do ascend a lot of times maybe have a little bit more like pre- predisposition to having a little bit more of that in them. So they get to that leadership phase and they have five or six direct reports or whatever, and now they feel like they're they're hearing excuses. And excuses in and from what I've seen in leaders I've been around is like one of the earliest trigger points to get somebody yeah. like it up in arms. Me personally, I haven't struggled with that as much, but I understand why excuses are a real trigger point for folks is because it 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 doesn't reverberate with a lot of people in, in leadership positions, those excuses. But at the same time, I think what you're saying is that a lot of leaders aren't realizing their own culpability in that person going to the, the mistake first. They're, they're not being responsible for the system that led to this culture of excuses coming to the forefront first. Sure. It's, to me, it's, it's, um, I, I had a, a board member, and this is going to sound odd, but, but he meant it in a complimentary way. He said, a fish stinks from its head. Uh, Never heard that one. Yeah, no, I, I, hadn't, I, hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't either. And his point was that we had this really wonderful culture at Garden Fresh Restaurants, and, and he knew that that emanated from me, and so it was a way of complimenting me. Mm. But it also meant that if I saw something in the organization going on that I didn't like, fish stinks from its head. And so what, what am I doing or not doing that's contributing to that is the first place. Did I give people the right resources? What sort of agreements did I make around this? Were the agreements really, really clear about my expectations? Did they need to be trained in some way that they weren't that they weren't trained? Were there some other circumstances that I created which put them into a very burdensome situation so that they couldn't accomplish both? Mm-hmm. It's all those questions I think are the questions that come up that come up first, mm-hmm. and and that to me is is accountability because if I can sort and he, and here's here's 
here's the, you know, in, in the blog, I, I use the word freedom frequently. If I'm blaming somebody else for what's going on, then nothing moves forward until that person accepts the blame and changes what they're doing. If I'm being accountable for what's happened, if I'm owning responsibility for the circumstance, I now have choices. Hmm. I can decide how we move forward. Yeah, that was one of the things I was going to pin down on today is kind of that, to me, accountability and freedom are sort of two ideas that might have friction with each other when you look at you know accountability and a to-do list and a framework of thinking. To me, that I could see how that could be viewed as limiting freedom yeah. in, in some ways. But I think what you're saying is that accountability leads you to the results you're looking for in your life and success and for a better work experience and it gives you this what to do next it gets if you don't if you're not looking at every situation from how did i create this or what can i do next within the situation you're sitting you're playing defense you're reactive you're sitting back and you're not free to have these choices whereas if you take it head on it frees you up to do something about it at least and not sit back and wait for some other person to have a personal epiphany and come around to accountability and start meditating every morning and those types of things it it puts it back on you it it does i mean suppose for example i I was you know i wanted to travel from from bend to new york and i was going to drive and i loaned my car to my daughter and she crashes the night before and i go well you ruined my trip i can't go now, if I was accountable, I might say, well, this has happened. I want to go to New York. I could take a plane. I could rent a car. I could take a bus. I could probably figure out how to get there by train. I wouldn't want to do this, but I could ride a motorcycle. You know, there's, there's kind of yeah. endless options, some of which are more attractive than others, for for getting out of the blame and then having the freedom mm. to make a choice about how I get there, some of which would actually be better than driving myself. Are there any examples from your life that you can think about that were sort of signals or something that other people could maybe look for to recognize that they're operating in this more reactive state as opposed to this a, a proactive state? Is yeah. it just being aware of excuses coming out of your mouth, or are there other things to kind of tune into? Yeah, I, I think there's there's two things that go with being accountable. One, it's very hard for me to recognize that I'm blaming unless I have some level of self-awareness. So for example, can I notice my thinking? Can I notice what's going on with my body? Can I notice the, the kind of angry, resentful tension that exists when I'm, when I'm, when I'm blaming? And so, in order to be accountable, we've got to be aware of what's going on within us. So there's almost like this pre-step from transitioning that's, that's self-awareness. I, 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 they're all together. It's self-awareness, yeah. accountability, and then intentionality. What outcome do I want? So in the midst of my blaming, I'm angry because I'm not getting an outcome. Can I be clear about that outcome and separate it from the blame? You know, Often blame is, I want you to feel bad about what happened. You know, in the example to my daughter, I want you to feel really bad because I didn't get to New York. Wait a minute. What I wanted was to get to New York. Hmm. Not <laughs> her feeling bad is not getting me to New York. 
Hmm. And if I can be clear about the outcome that I want and step towards that, I'm much more likely to be accountable. So these concepts of knowing myself, self-awareness, being accountable and recognizing my choice, and, and keeping my attention on the outcome that I want to create, it, to me, is all part of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's very much, it can be frustrating, but it's not binary. Mm-hmm. You, you're never flipping that zero all the way to a one, right? You, you feel like you're probably always point nine two percent maybe at best you know to that one I and mean, your person that's taken a company public a high performer in, in your professional life and yet i have to imagine there's very few times when you felt like you were really close to that one right <laughs> I, I i don't think you ever get there yeah i jokingly say that that when i'm fully realized in terms of my accountability, then I'll be God, and I'm not going to be God. So, so we're, we're, we're mortal, we're human, we're, you know. And part of this is being comfortable with that, yeah. that gray area, that in-between. And, and your intentional focus on spontaneity, I think, plays on one of your strengths as an entrepreneur and a business leader and somebody that looks to create something where there was nothing. You're okay that that's not binary. Yes. You're almost energized by it. That's a great way to say it. And I, and I think that's, that's an important realization for people to have, that I can be really talented and there's more opportunity for me to grow and, be a, and still be a better leader. Mm-hmm. As long as, you know, for a long time I thought, well, if there's more for me to learn, then I'm obviously doing something wrong and I'm flawed. And, and so being able to, for each of us to say, look, I'm doing a really good job here and it can always get better is, a, is kind of an inspiring place to operate from. But it's interesting to me that your tactic or your method for getting better is doing the same. Like it's, it's that same process. You're focusing on the same daily practice of meditation. You're, you're focusing on the same types of things in your life. You're you're not reinventing the wheel at every stretch. You're honing and crafting and and tweaking by doing the same thing and just getting better at it. You know, you're not you're you're trusting that like practicing your dribbling every day is going to help your shooting because it's just freeing up your fundamentals. So I, I think the, the the constant is the practice. What I practice and the nature of the practice changes hmm. pretty frequently. Probably, go go probably. in a little more in depth. Well, that. so for example, I uh, there's a, there's a great Headspace is a, is a great app for meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so and so in the early days, I I, I started doing some med- not obviously not with Headspace, but doing some meditation, ten or fifteen minutes a day, just to kind of smooth myself out a little bit. You know, right now that's kind of shifted to asking myself a question: How do I let go of trying and accept who I am? So that's that sentence is an interesting question for me to ask myself and perhaps write down the answer for for the day. I uh, have other affirmations from time to time that I use. So it's always where is the growth opportunity for me and and what do I want to be practicing that I'm I'm constantly shifting as part of the intent to create the opportunity for growth. So what are an example of things that might get onto that list of, of things you're working on? Are they more are they vaguer notions of being more present and being more spontaneous or are they more concrete like i want to 
generate X amount of sales or I want to launch this many new restaurants over the next year? How specific or not specific do you get with those intentional things you're working on? So let me let me separate a couple pieces. So for example, I have a, a plan that has a someday goal to it, five-year goal to it, one-year goal to it. I update it every month with a one-month goal and then I do my best to pick some, some goals for the week and, and activities to move me forward. And taken to its extreme, I should probably be resetting the goal every day, but I just don't have that kind of discipline. <laughs> I, just, I just can't get there. There's a line for everybody. <laughs> there's a, yeah, there's just, it's just not that much, not that much uh, discipline capability. That's separate from the practice that I'm talking about that would be related to state of being. Okay. And when we talk about self-awareness, accountability, intentionality, and, and how I want to be in relationship to the work that I'm doing, in relationship to my trust of my ability to get it done, aware of the places where I start to see doubt in what I'm doing, aware of the places where I'm hesitating. You know, why, why aren't you just making this phone call? You know, mm-hmm. that's that's the part of the, the those are the things that that they're impacted by the, the practice we're just we've just been talking about. And so I, I think both are important for for people. I tend to focus on time frames like one to three years for myself personally, even shorter. Sometimes in the startup land, it's three to six months. Sure. feels like a really long time. I've always been really amazed with people that had really strong visions for five, 10, 15 years yeah. out what they were looking for. How often through your career or life has that 10-year vision changed? You know, do you, do you feel like there's some where you really got to the end of 10 years and it was, you know, year nine, day 365, or, or year 10, day two, and it was over and you, you, you know, clap your hands and you're now looking at the next 10-year, or is it more of like the goalposts always slightly moving on that 10-year goal? Yeah, I'd, I'd say I'd, I'd separate two concepts. One is goal and the other is, is, is intent, mm. intention. And so the, the, the goal is always moving. You know, for, for people who are listening, you know, I'm going to miss my one-year and my five-year goal, it looks like right now. You know, mm. I'm not happy about that, but I'm also not unhappy about that. Mm. Because I'm living my life consistent with my values in work that I believe in. I'm helping others lead inspired lives, creating ins- the inspired results that they want to create. And so when I'm on that path, my life works. And the rest of it tends to fall into place and I get it, I get it figured out. If I were to go for the goals, you know, I'll say I want this type of financial return or X number of things to happen and lose that that intentionality around how I want to live my life, around living a life that's accountable, for example, then the goals and the achievements and the success would quickly be meaningless, Hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Is there times in your life when you have hit goals in that way? Yeah, I have. And it's felt hollow? It's felt... No, not hollow. It feels good. Uh, Well, I'm sorry, hit goals... Out of sync with my intent. Yeah. Yeah, I have. I, I, and I, sometimes that can happen in business. You pick a great market or you pick a great product or you pick a great team. Yeah. I think that's what I've seen a lot along the way is I, I've got two younger kids. There's been stretches when, you know, I can't work the long hours and, and put it through. Like 
team around you can sometimes really help buffet you up in those periods. And I think sometimes even for me, probably made me think I was doing a little bit better than I actually was personally because the business was still growing and things were going up and to the yeah. right. Yeah, I took an interim CEO job where I, I would I would argue we were quite successful in, in what we wanted to do for a defined period of time. And um, it just wasn't work that was consistent with what I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. And so it was, that really dampened down the satisfaction, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, everybody has a different work they want to be doing with their life and that and and you one of the things i really admire is are been able to boil down your intentions to that sentence you know now you do a lot of coaching of ceos and of leaders and you're living intentionally to try to help others how did you come to that? Are there are there ways like I I think like <laughs> I know that's probably not an epiphany moment again. No. But what are if if somebody else is listening and they they say I don't have that sentence, I don't have that that thing that I can feel like if I don't hit my goals, I can still go to bed at night and feel good about my work. You know, I yeah. think a lot of people haven't reached that point to where it's something as profound of that that's strangely accountable yet not measurable. Yeah, I think, uh, yes. So I would, for me, it's been a process of developing an understanding. And it's a process that's fueled by my regularly asking myself some questions. So, for example, while I was CEO of Garden Fresh, I several times talked to my coaches about, I think it's time for me to leave. Great, let's talk about that. What is it that you want to be doing? Mm-hmm. And as we kind of got to the heart of that, they'd say, great, so we can leave and go do that. Why aren't you conducting yourself that way here in the business that you're in? So you, don't have so to you, you came to them and said, hey, I, what I want to be doing is being this great CEO, doing all these things. I got all these ideas, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, you are CEO. Yeah. You're right here. Why, where do you think that disconnect was? Why, do you, why didn't you think you could see that the opportunity was where you were at. I knew inside me that I wanted something different, but I wasn't willing to step into the discomfort of what it would take to actualize it. And so I said, I gotta go somewhere else. And what they helped me see is that I had a vision for what I wanted to create. And because I wasn't getting a lot of positive feedback for the little hints that I was offering about it, I said, well, this isn't the right place. Mm. It was exactly the right place. There's another process that, that I use. It's, it's called a process of inquiry. And it's asking ourselves a question. <laughs> and when we ask ourselves a question, we often try and think about the answer. As opposed to quieting ourselves and listening for the answer and being receptive to what the answer might be. Hmm. And it can really help to write the question pause to see what emerges it may be something silly it may be something that doesn't make sense you just want to be open to what emerges and then is there something to take forward or learn from that so you can take five or ten minutes to do that and it's a useful practice to have in have in place and you know so it's it's asking 
listening, um, being receptive, and then and then seeing if there's any learning to take forward with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's to me feels like a lot more of a Eastern concept than than a Western concept. The way you'd look at attacking a problem, you know, you, you'd write the problem up on a whiteboard and you'd you'd say, "All right, everybody, give me fifty examples of what we how we can solve this." And you'd dig in and you you know ask people and you'd work 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 as opposed to listening a little bit and yeah. and relying on kind of your experiences and everything that's got you that to that moment and in my personal life it's amazing how long just five minutes of quiet <laughs> can be well it's interesting for each of us to be be to notice how uncomfortable that can be so uncomfortable <laughs> right and i think those moments of uncomfortability for me are what lead me to try to find some more things like these accountability processes and those sort of things like to quiet the mind in those moments like them if you do sit back and listen to yourself in those quiet moments and those points of reflection it's amazing how many answers may come or do come or where your real insecurities lay it's hard to sit with yourself for five minutes i mean i guess i could say personally it's hard for myself to sit with myself nobody else has to sit with me luckily I think, so, so, I, I think, though, that that's one thing that is even just that little bit of listening is a great thing to think about. Yeah, and, and, and one of the things I, I think it's important to keep in mind is, is that when you're doing that, you're calling upon all of your resources. Hmm. There's, there's an assumption that when we're using our, you know, we're thinking really hard that we're, we're just using the conscious part of our brain. And it's, it's pretty limited, and when we're quiet, we're tapping into more of our subconscious, our, our larger sense of awareness, stuff that's going on in our body that may emerge. We can notice our breathing. All those things just expand our capacity to have some insight, awareness, make a connection of some sort, solve a challenging situation. I mean, I, I find sometimes if I'm you know sitting around a table and we're having a very intense conversation and don't seem to get anywhere i'll just say let's take a break everybody get up and walk and if we can go outside go outside five minutes is all it takes and i always come back with a little different perspective on it and often people come back with a great idea mm-hmm. because they've accessed more of their capability mm-hmm. and we're, when we're in that that very rigid thinking mode yeah well, you know a lot of people are very bright and have great minds but it's not much yeah. of the capacity being used. I think that's the difficult kind of like friction that I've picked up on talking to you over conversations now is that these things like frameworks or accountability, these things that feel like rigid systems, they're actually what can lead to freedom of the mind. Yes. Like imagine if in those quiet moments your mind wasn't stressed about like, the credit card bill you didn't pay when you just, you know, go on and pay it, you know, you got the money or you're stressed about the, the not knowing if somebody thinks you're a good candidate for a job or not. You know, a lot of these things that you could check off that like mental noise. That was another thing we talked about last conversation is, is just the noise yeah. and quieting the noise. For me, you're probably not going to quiet that noise doing all the same things that led you to the point to where you're so struggling with the noise in your head that you know you need to <laughs> take some steps to change something. And if you get yourself to the point to where you can 
limit a lot of that noise of stuff that you can handle and you can take on or even just flipping your notion of that problem looking at from less of a reactive state and more of a what can I do about this your mind now like just moves on like if you give your mind the next thing to do even that'll just help you know if 30 seconds ago you had no next step or no next plan and now you do have a next step or a plan even if that thing doesn't happen for another week your mind is quieter yes about that is that is that the kind of way you've looked at that trying to quiet that noise to free up like your best ideas to come out? Let me say it a, a couple ways. When we notice these disturbing, anxiety-ridden thoughts, our first reaction is to want them to go away. And mm. that's a little like trying to get your right hand to go away. Whatever is causing <laughs> that is part of your way of seeing the world. And so what is valuable is to say, what is true? Hmm. I haven't paid my credit card bill, and I have a knot in my stomach. Hmm. And what is the story? Well, if I don't pay it, this is going to happen. We'll be bankrupt. My wife will leave me. My kids will hate me. And this part of my identity will die. Hmm. And when we can pull apart what's true, factual, from the story, then the story begins to take on less and less meaning. And if we're willing to practice that, mm-hmm. its capacity to create anxiety will diminish over time. Yeah, it's amazing. But you gotta be willing to step into, mm. wow, I really, this is really bugging me, <laughs> and I'm gonna look at what's true and what's not true. And that may initially feel scarier, yeah. But it's the really only way to deal with it in an effective fashion. Yeah, that initial investment of like taking the problem on, it's definitely going to hurt more in that moment that if you just let it eat at you or not you. Yeah. The, humans are amazing. You you can learn to live with all sorts of stuff. There is a sense that, well, it's important to remember that whatever that feeling is, we've each experienced it thousands of times mm. and it hasn't hurt us, hasn't killed us. But yet... It's so painful, we just resist stepping towards it. Totally. Another example would be, you know, and, and this is specifically in the realm of accountability. I mean, how many of us have felt stuck? Mm. You know, we all feel stuck. I can have this bad choice or this bad choice. And to me, that's a form of not being accountable. It's a form of victimness. I'm screwed. These circumstances have caused that. I'm going to blame them. And so for me, I, I feel stuck a lot. I just know... I got to go talk to somebody else. Hey, John, I got this situation. I don't feel stuck. Are there any options? And, and I can ask almost anybody, and they will immediately see another option. Hmm. That starts the process of my beginning to step out of the victimness of being stuck and being accountable and seeing choices. Hmm. And it's a, it's a great place where all of us think we're kind of accountable and then you know, well, yeah, I get stuck once in a while, but I'm accountable for it. No, no, no. When you're feeling stuck, you're, you've lost your sense of choice. Mm-hmm. And there are choices. There's always more choices than we think. And they're hard to see in the middle of the circumstance. So talk to somebody. How forgiving of yourself are you? <laughs> yeah. It, this is exactly 
it's what I described before. What's what's true and what's the story? Because yeah, that person, uh, sorry, just to cut real quick, because that per, you you mentioned accountability in terms of like a business structure where somebody you know a direct report and you have this agreement. If that agreement is broken, you know it might lead to you letting that person go or yeah. firing that person. You you can't let yourself go. You know you're you're always faced with that, which is where I'm kind of thinking that question's coming from. Yeah, I, I think we often talk to ourselves in a way that we would never talk to another person. Mm. You know, we're very hard on ourselves. And uh, again, it's, it's... I would say, though, that that is you. I think that was maybe more of a personal feeling than you would maybe believe, is my view on that. I think people that you tended to be around, like high-operating people that do tend to lean that way, maybe be a little bit closer. But I also think that they're is a large swath of, of you know, the world that leans more towards being more forgiving of themselves than maybe they even are of others in some cases. Could be. I, I don't yeah. know. I, I've, my experience... I think that is, speaks to your mindset, though, also as a person, that that, that is seen as a truth for you in, in some way. I, I, I just, I, I've always been shocked at how hard people are mm. on themselves regardless of what we see on the outside and and so and so uh, you know again it's it's can i notice um speaking to myself and and take what i didn't do well as a learning experience rather than a place to blame myself because you know accountability you know, means not blaming others it also means not blaming ourselves and it doesn't mean we avoid responsibility I, yeah. I did that. It's very different from, I'm such an idiot, I did that. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of the distinction that you notice by paying attention to it over time. Again, back to self-awareness, accountability, intentionality. I want to be a better leader. Great. With that intent, I'm going to frame the circumstance as a learning experience rather than a weapon to beat myself up with. And, and so if we can notice ourselves doing it and decide what we want to do with the feeling, we have the opportunity to make it more productive. Yeah. There's a great, uh, great story about uh, many, many, many years ago when a million dollars meant a lot more. A young man uh, made a, a million dollar mistake for his company and was called into the CEO's office. And the C- CEO said, well, tell me what happened. And so he told him, he said, great, we'll get back to work. And the young man said, get back to work, I, I thought you were going to fire me. And the CEO said, fire you? I just invested a million dollars in you. And so, and so that concept of mistakes are learning is, is I think, a very accountable perspective. We're n- none of us are perfect. We're going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I, I, ha- I have a presumption of, of uh, innocence. Everybody does the best they can in a given circumstance with the skills and experience and wisdom that they had at that moment. Doesn't mean there aren't consequences, but but that that the vast majority of the time, people don't have malicious intent. They mm-hmm. just did the best they could. If it wasn't enough, it wasn't enough. If they get fired, they get fired. But when I can look at somebody and 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 view them as innocent in their attempt to do their best, it changes the way I'm going to interact with them, uh, and and about the next steps. Still might fire them. Yeah. But I'm I'm not going to shoot them in the head. You know for. Yeah. Well, interesting I mean? thing to me, though, is that, that 
a lot of you're saying the practice for that your internal decision making is like trying to get to the truth, trying to get to the truth, see, yeah. seeing the truth. That's a great but way then, to say it. But then when you're dealing with others, you're not necessarily as concerned about the the truth when it's your view of how they're operating. So you come from a place of assuming they did the best they could possibly do with the resources they had, blah, blah, blah. My guess is that's probably not always the case or, or probably it's more 50-50 in those cases. But you've told yourself a story that helps you react to the or, or be proactive in the situation more positively than if you let yourself come from a mindset of, well, first I need to figure out, did, did this person even try? Like first I need to figure out, is this person worth my time? Whereas the mindset you're coming from, you're assuming everybody is worth your time because everybody tried and and it puts you in a position to help work on that situation and be positive in it because nobody wants to also work in an environment where people are questioning their work ethic or their, you know, their motives all the time. Yeah, I do not assume everybody is worth my time. Hmm. Okay. I, I absolutely do not. And, and I, I do believe that this concept of people did the best they can with the skills and experience and wisdom that they, they have is, is very, very pervasive with few exceptions. Hmm. And so even people who are malicious in some way, that's the best they can muster in that moment with the skills and experience okay. they have. I understand. Yeah, so the more nuanced point is that the person they are in that moment has allowed them to only operate at this level. Yep. Understood. And it does not mean that, uh, I mean, there's, you know, r- regardless of your political stance right now, you know, we can we can kind of scan across what some of the things that are going on. And and uh, I think it would be relatively easy for me to pick some people. I, I just don't want to have anything to do with this person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? not, I just... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I and they're doing the best they can, and there's no part of it, there's nothing yeah. I want to I want to be a part of with them. I think it's important to know like your triggers, and you know the places when you're not capable of operating like the person you yeah. want to be, and and to protect yourself a little bit. I think one of the things that I'm going to take away from this conversation for sure is that feeling that like you're never all the way there. If you ever were yeah. all the way there, whatever there is, you'd be some Buddha like creature. Yes understanding that none, none of us mortals are going to ascend to that and and therefore you're not perfect you can't you know sit there cross-legged while some person like spews maybe political beliefs in your ears that you don't believe in you know one of the things that i see about you when you talk about your practice is that it like smooths you out mm-hmm. and that it it helps you to kind of recognize situations you're not going to be able to be as smooth in, yeah. <laughs> and, and probably if one be really prepared if all of a sudden you find yourself in one of those spots you know you're now a little bit more smoothed out and, and able to deal with it but I have to imagine a lot of cases you know now like Michael just can't operate in this situation not going to put myself in it yeah <laughs> and I think that's also important for people to do and I think understanding what situations you're going to be more comfortable in is going to come from that quiet reflection. It's going to come from you coming to like a slow epiphany <laughs> through daily practice, understanding, huh, you know, for the last five days in a row when I tried to sit with myself for five minutes, I thought about this same thing for four of those minutes. Yes. And 
I listening to yourself and, and is going to help you determine that one sentence or that one driving force. Yeah. And for me, that's what I think I, why I love talking to you is that you're like a mix of Eastern thinking with like the most, you know, nuts and bolts, Western civilization, business success you could ever see. And these concepts are not separate. These concepts are very, are very intertwined and in that, these practices you talk about can be unbelievable tools to growing your business and tactics to actually growing your business. And one that ones that I've thought about all the time is growing the team, not uh, viewing everybody as a commodity or an asset, thinking more empathetically, thinking more about, you know, the emotions and how people feel on a day to day, I think is a powerful tactic for growing your company. I would agree, and, and I would put the practice of accountability at the top of the list yeah. for any organization, any culture that's that's trying to to improve their capability to create the results that they want. Mm-hmm. It is just incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think that's a great place to end. Did we get through all your thoughts there? Oh, we did. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, John. Great. Always oh. a pleasure spending time with you. Oh, thanks so much. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks also to uh, Max Bettendorf here, our producer, who's been doing the recording. We'll put up a blog post with show notes, details, links, some of the links we talked about, links to the past episodes too. So go to blog.shape.io slash podcast there to check out all that and Michael I I hope some other topic in the future hits you just as passionately because I think I know I personally got a lot of this I hope everybody else did too cool thank you all right now where can people find you talk about the best place to stay in touch with Michael Mack I know you're pretty active on LinkedIn yeah LinkedIn is probably the best the best place to to, uh, track me down it's Michael P. Mack I'm a business chair yep and um located here in Bend. Yeah, and if you're interested in more of Michael's thoughts, he has a lot of great writing up there that I've got bookmarked in a couple folders and would encourage everybody else to as well. So, till next time, thanks from Bend, Oregon. Bend, Oregon.